Seahawks fans wherever you may be. Welcome inside the Hawks Playbook Podcast. Join your host, Bill Alvstead, and featuring 12thManRising.com editor and football analyst, Keith Myers. Well, hello and welcome in to the Hawks Playbook Playbook Podcast. I'm Bill Alvstead, your host, and each week we feature 12th Man Rising editor and football analyst, Keith Myers. Hello, Keith. Hi, how's it going? I'm doing very well, thank you. We're finally into March, the winter uh, monster that has got a hold of us for the last, I don't know how long is like on its last legs and you know i can see the crocus and all those little daffodil things popping up out of the ground waiting to you know lighten my my day yeah definitely i am ready for some nicer weather gotta get outside it's just getting getting it's been a rough winter it has but you know the uh the end is near and speaking of the end of winter and entering into the spring uh, one of the things that always kind of gets us there a little quicker is the NFL Combine, and that's what's going on this week. And uh, as of our recording, which we record on Thursday, uh, we're going to be watching the Combine just as you guys are. So we'll have a complete uh, Combine review in our next week's podcast. Uh, but to preview it a little bit, what, uh, what kind of sense do you get that's uh, going on right now this week? Well, for this week, it's this is a, like one part of a large uh, process for creating uh, profiles and projections of what each of these players is going to be able to do at the next level. And it's really just about getting an athletic profile. Do we know how fast they are? Do their, does their speed match what we see on tape and that kind of thing? So it isn't about... It isn't just about what we see here and be like, oh, this person's really fast. Let's draft them high. Uh, it's more about matching what we see uh, this week versus what we see on their well, tape. That's right. And uh, Schneider had a uh, press conference on Wednesday. What did you hear out of there that kind of made your ears perk up a little bit? Yeah, the the big takeaway I had from that was when he started talking about the offensive line and he talked about regretting cutting Jari Evans and that the line got too young, too fast. There wasn't enough leadership. There wasn't enough veteran presence there. And I mean, he didn't throw, he didn't want to like throw uh, any of the young guys under the bus and say, Hey, they didn't play well, but it was more of a, that the team didn't support them well enough to, to allow them a chance to be successful. And it I was thought it was literally immature. I would say, yeah. And, and I just thought I liked the fact that he just owned it and was like, you know, we screwed that up last year and we're going to fix it this off season and make sure we don't do that again. So that was, uh, that was a big deal to me because the, the Pete Carroll at the end of the season was like, Oh, we're not going to throw money at the offensive line. That's not what we do. And I was, I was concerned about that because the line needed, it needs some work and it needs some, uh, additional talent infusion and some experience. And, and so to have Schneider come back and kind of say the opposite and say, no, you know, we may, he didn't say it, but kind of read between the lines. They may not throw a ton of money at the offensive line. They're not going to redo the whole thing, but they are going to invest in it. They, they do need a veteran presence, and they know they need a veteran presence. And last I year they did add veteran presence. It just didn't work. It just didn't work out. They they brought in Webb. They brought in Soul. Both those players failed. 
at uh, helping the the line. They cut the one guy that would have helped. And uh, so this year going forward, we could see another Webb and Soul type players brought in that have experience that will add competition in camp but may not win a, a starting job. Yeah, I mean, it's a possibility. We'll, and we'll, we'll have to wait and see and kind of what they bring in. I don't think that... I mean, the money's uh, there if they want to add a $5 million guy or a $7 million guy. Yeah. They're probably not going to go out and get a $10 million guy. But, you know, a $5 million player is a middling starting caliber guard in the NFL or tackle possibly. Mm-hmm. And one of those type of guys, I mean, we don't need a, a pro bowl player. We just need a solid week in week out guy. That's going to teach the tricks to the young guys. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, Webb was, Webb was kind of supposed to be that guy last year and he wasn't, he wasn't, uh, involved in the, the room, in the meeting rooms with the younger why guys. Did, why did guys like us, see the writing on the wall from the very first second when the guy was signed, even before he took the field, we knew that the probability of it working was going to be extremely low. Why did we see that? And they did not. Uh, I think it's one of those things where you, you take a coach's love to uh, fix guys. And so they look at a guy on tape and they see, mistakes and they go you know what i can fix that i can teach them how to or he's a better scheme guy in our system than he was yeah so so there's some of that too and and that's one of the things where especially this time of year we, we we look at that and you go the teams that have coaches intimately involved in the scouting process tend to look past flaws uh more because the coaches are there saying, I can fix that. I can do that. And it, it's common. It's across the whole league. And I really think that's what happened with Webb. Because he's a really big guy. He's a strong guy. There are some things physically with him that you look at and you go, okay, we can make this work. He's and, big. It's going to take a guy longer to run around him. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I think what happened is that Cable looked at all this and says, you know what? If I can teach him to stop or to keep his feet moving, right? Because he stops his feet a lot. Uh, if I can teach him to keep his feet moving, I think we can get a competent player for practically nothing uh, in salary cap space. And let's go with you know because that's that's kind of what we need. Is well, and that's right. It fit the it fit the the, the space we had, and that's yep. just what we did. It didn't work. We're moving on. Mm-hmm. Is there are there any players uh, that you've seen released in the last couple of weeks for cap savings? Um, on teams that have perked your interest at all, not not just offensive line. Well, the ones that have perked my interest are offensive line. I mean, you look at uh, Russell Lacoon, which technically hasn't been released. They, the team just announced they're going to decline his option, so he becomes a free agent on March 9th when the, the league year begins. Uh, the same is true for Calvin Beecham. Uh, those, those two guys are definitely guys that I would... Uh, what, what would you I'd bring back... Um, Okung for? I would bring Okung back to basically cut back into the role that he left, and that is to be the, I mean, as far as the contract size. Uh, I'm looking at seven, probably seven million is probably where my ceiling is going to be. Um, per, uh, you know, so if the, the, if the market dries up on him a little bit, yeah, we could, we could see him back. Yeah, because last year he signed for one year, five million with nothing guaranteed. And I know when he was... Uh, 
when he was negotiating with Seattle, he was talking about ten, twelve million a year. And when he signed with when he signed with Denver, it was one year five million. But then there was this four year option at like twelve and a half million per. And so he played. I would last sign year. him for that. I would sign him for that. I would sign him for that five million a year. I would sign him for that four year thing that's out there. That's probably not going to happen and get him in here for one year to help the Seahawks. Now it's not in his best interest to do that, but I do understand that he is representing himself again this year. So there is. He is. Yep. So <laughs> I think, I think what you can do is, is with him is you can move some stuff around and be like, okay, we'll give him a little bit of, of guaranteed money in that first year, which he didn't have last year. And, yeah, set it up so that way, come in, you know, prove yourself this first year, show that you will stay healthy. Uh, That's at, a big thing for him. And if you do that, you know, we'll give you those extra years or build into his contract it as per game bonuses for playing. So that way, if he doesn't stay healthy, his his compensation goes down and the, the team kind of gets uh salary cap space refunded to them every week when he, cause he's not playing and, and, and go down that, go down the road that way. Uh, I think they, I think they can make it work. And it was interesting that uh, Okung said that despite the fact that the uh, negotiations were, they weren't a lot of fun for either side last year, but when they were talking that there were no burned bridges and he'd be open to coming back to Seattle if they, if the numbers worked out. So I thought that yeah, was I don't, a good, I don't, good turn. Yeah, I don't think it ended like badly. Mm-hmm. I just think that we went in a different direction and so did he. I think it was it was a definitely an even split. So uh, one other player quickly that I kind of had my eye on a little bit that isn't a offensive lineman or defensive lineman, it's a wide receiver, Josh Gordon. Troubled past, really a, he retired, quote unquote, He's asked for reinstatement. I think Cleveland may have uh, an option on him yet, although I think they've made it fairly clear that he's not going to be back, but they may want some sort of compensation for him. What are your thoughts on maybe taking a look at a player like that to, to come into the to the Seahawks organization? Josh Gordon, uh, at least the last time we saw him on the field, is one of the most physically gifted wide receivers in the National Football League. So I had no problem with the Seahawks bringing him in. The problem's going to be is there's it's been a long time since he's played because of, you know, these suspensions. And so he's been conditionally reinstated. The Browns hold his rights, but that doesn't mean they want him. And they, as you said, they totally have said, you know, we're done. We're done with him. We're but they hold his rights. So and I think the idea with that is They'll they'll see what they can get for him, but once he's fully reinstated, uh, they have a decision to make. They either have to keep him on the roster or they have to cut him. And I think they are probably going to cut him because no one's going to take on his old contract uh, with what he was being paid. And so they'll he'll end up on the free agent market. And then a team like Seattle would be smart to go uh, show some interest. Don't I mean, he's definitely a high risk, high reward yeah, situation. But the, the, how, how do you mitigate that? You mitigate that with uh, the way you structure a contract is you don't push any guaranteed money into year two. And you can actually tie most of his salary into like per game bonuses, like I was saying with with Okung, because then then he uh, if he gets suspended again, well, yes, if, if he gets suspended again, he doesn't uh, make any money anyway. But, you know, just. It keeps him, you have to be on the field to earn anything. 
uh, other than the minimum. And I think you can compensate him in a way that will make him happy and come into town, uh, but at the same time protect the team by by setting up the, uh, his pay structure in that way. That's that's you know that's really all you can ask for. So I think you know going forward next week we're going to have kind of a free agency primer. And uh, as part of that, we will look at, you know, some of these key players that the Seahawks might have interest in. Maybe take a look at some of the second tier players that uh, maybe the Seahawks wait until the, the bulk of free agency is over and then go out and get those value guys uh, to come in. So we'll take a, a longer look at that next week. But this week, uh, our basically uh, featured segment is... Uh, the Seahawks defense year in review. Mm-hmm. Uh, last week we did the offense. I think we uh, we did a great job on it, although I think we w- uh, went a little long. And so this week we're going to try to keep it uh, down as much as we can, but we're still going to take a good look at it. We're going to go through uh, position groups and some key players. And uh, just overall, before we kind of start, what was your overall thought on uh, the 2016 Seahawks defense? Well, the defense... You can tell the depth is gone. Um, the the high end talent is still there, and so you know what was it? Week ten, they were still the number one scoring defense, and that was when Earl got hurt. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they ended up as as the number three scoring defense uh, at by the end of the year. But so that that the high end talent is there, but that next layer of depth on right underneath those guys has eroded away over the last few years, which is, you know, it's a salary cap. You can't keep everyone. And when you have a lot of success, like the Seahawks have had, other teams want your players. And so, you know, the guys like Byron Maxwell have disappeared and they haven't been replaced. And that's been what has uh, has hurt the well, Seahawks. And like so. Irvin over at uh, Strong Side oh, Linebacker. absolutely. So as we move through these groups, what I want to do is I'm just going to, give you some player names and I want you to kind of give me a rundown of, you know, how their season was, how they ended and uh, where you see them emerging in 2017. So uh, defensive tackles, let's start with the one that had his season cut short, uh, Quentin Jefferson. So Quentin Jefferson was a really nice surprise last year because he is that inside pass rusher that the team really needs. And unfortunately he got hurt and was out. And without him, uh, the pass rush really disappeared because we didn't have that push up the middle to, to stop the quarterbacks from stepping up. Now, we did have 42 sacks, which mm-hmm. is pretty decent. I mean, it's not that bad. It's, I think, the most we've had since 2013. Yeah. And then we also, on that front line, we did only allow uh, 3.4 yards per rush against us and mm-hmm. that was number one in the nfl so overall it's not a bad group oh no not like at you all. said it does it does add some depth and i think quentin jefferson would be a difference maker in there if he can stay healthy and come back this year mm-hmm. how about uh, jaron reed our uh number uh, second round draft pick so reed was uh, a big part of the reason why the team did so well against the run is they've got this whole group of uh run stuffing defensive tackles that you, you're not going to run against, uh, but they don't get a lot of push in the passing game. And that was why Quentin Jefferson was so important was because he offered the opposite. He could come in and get to the quarterback. Uh, Reed is that, you know, that prototypical nose tackle. He eats blocks. He doesn't get pushed, pushed back. Uh, and, and the way that the Seahawks compensate for that is they'll stunt, you know, Bennett over or yes. Avril inside or, mm-hmm. um, or, uh, 
you know, our standout defensive end, Frank Clark, will will come inside a little bit. So they, yeah. they mess around with their scheme a little bit to compensate for a, a guy that's in there mm-hmm. at defensive tackle like Quentin Jefferson. So, But going forward, I think they would like a guy like Jefferson. If it's not Jefferson, it's got to be somebody. Yes. I mean, when we mentioned uh, Callius Campbell last week in last week's uh, podcast, that's an ideal solution, but it's probably too rich for the Seahawks. I, I would agree. He, I mean, he would be a great addition to, to uh, just increase the overall talent because um, he can play the run and he can play the pass. And so there, it's you don't have that constant switching back and forth that the Seahawks uh, currently have to do. But that's just a really large cap number that he's going to require to get uh, in. So moving on, uh, how about let's do these two together, Ruben and McDaniel, Tony McDaniel. So, okay, so these are our veterans. Um, you know, they're 31 and 32, and uh, they're also, you know, the big run stuffer that doesn't do much in, in the passing game. Um, McDaniel's a, a free agent, and I wouldn't have a problem with them bringing him back on a, a very cheap contract. Um, but I think as the team, they're... If he can get, they, they can get him as a cheap contract, they'll they'll do so. But what they need is they need to, this is one of the positions where they need to inject some more youth. And they got Reed last year. They need they could really use another young defensive tackle, especially one that offers more versatility. And this is always a position group that the Seahawks are going to spend some draft capital on, mm-hmm. <clears throat> whether it's in the first round or the seventh round, and then undrafted free agents. They always load up on a, a few of those guys to bring in. And uh, quite often the Seahawks are very successful at, at having at least one of those guys emerge. So beyond the defensive line, uh, well, it's technically still on the line, defensive ends. Let's talk about M- Michael Bennett. And I really like Michael. And if we have time at the end of the show, we'll, we'll do a little player profile on Michael Bennett. What was his impact? So Bennett's impact last year was actually minimized a little bit by his injury. So he missed a chunk of time in the middle. Uh, and yet he still made the Pro Bowl, uh, even though he didn't have the sack totals or anything like that, which tells you a lot about how much he is respected around the league because of his ability to do everything. He's one of the best uh, defensive ends at playing the run in the entire NFL. He can get off get or get to the, pe- get to the uh, quarterback off the edge and... Uh, they'll slide him into that three technique defensive tackle and and have him rush on the inside. He can and he can do that. It's if the if the team had better depth uh, as with the outside guys, you would have seen him more uh, as a defensive tackle on the inside rushing rushing the quarterback. Well, and and for all those reasons, that's why we re-signed and extended uh, Bennett at yeah. the end of the year for a four year, twenty five or twenty eight million dollar deal. Which and, is which is. Uh, <laughs> Which is way less than he could get on the open market. This is well. This is he the, is, is going to be thirty-two. True, but you know, uh, this is the third time the Seahawks have negotiated a contract with Bennett, and it's the third time that they have won the negotiations with Michael Bennett uh, because he could totally have made more than that on the open. Well, market. Well, he obviously wants to be here. I yeah, mean, he does. He he really takes the Seahawks brotherhood to heart. I mean, if mm-hmm. that's the, in fact, he's probably the guy, the glue guy in that brotherhood, him and, and Chancellor, I think. So how about his, uh, his underling, Frank Clark? So, okay. Uh, with Clark, it is, 
I'm trying to be nice about this. There will always be that concern because of his off-field stuff before the draft, and that will always be kind of this thing that's talked about and is there. Um, and I don't want to minimize that. I don't. I think it's important not to. But it's also he has kept his nose clean since joining the Seahawks, and uh, as far as that stuff goes, on the field he is Michael Bennett Jr. He is uh, a young version with a with a very similar uh, style and talent level and and temperament. Yes, and they're just. It is really nice to have two players like that on the roster, and I. This, you know, this last year was really Frank Clark's coming out party. He filled in the Michael Bennett role uh, when Bennett was hurt. Next year, I'd love to see them line up with both of them uh, as the two ends, you know, on first down. Do you and think then move there's one a of them chance in. that uh, Cliff Averill could play strong side linebacker for the Seattle Seahawks? I don't. Um, and have Frank Clark move over there right now and get, get another player in uh, I, that backup. I, edge rusher role. I don't just because of Averill's age and he is very specific on that. He likes to play on, on the right side and, and you know, that's where he wants to, to that's where now, he's. Averill did come into the league as a linebacker. Am I correct he, on that? He came in as a three, four linebacker, which is. Gotcha. So gotcha. he was, a, he was a pass rusher. And he started um, in Detroit and I, I loved yep. him from the beginning in Detroit. Mm -hmm. In fact, I think I re remember wanting to draft him as a player. I can't remember where he's from, but. Um, so we've got uh, Cliff Averill as well. What do you, yeah. what do you, how would, how did Cliff Im impact the, the team this year? Well, Cliff had a good year and he's you know, steady. He, he's a he steady is. player. Um, Cliff's one of those guys that he, he's, comes off the edge, uh, and gets after the quarterback and that's what he does. And he doesn't, he's not like, um, Bennett and Clark where he moves into, I mean, he'll stunt, uh, but that's, he'll still line up on the outside and, but that's what he does is he comes off the edge and he's going to give you 10, you know, sacks a year, every year it's steady. Uh, and four or five forced fumbles, which I love about him. Yep. Avril's productivity goes down when there's no inside pass rush because the quarterbacks step up and then Avril can't get to them. He'll just, because he goes around the corner and he's too far back once they step up. Yeah, if the I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think that is absolutely the key to the entire defense. Mm -hmm. if, if you can prevent the quarterback from stepping up into the pocket, then there's no way to stop Avril from getting around the edge and, you know, crushing them. So that's that they really need that. Uh, and to, and if they do that, they'll get much more production out of Avril. And Avril's already really productive as a pass rusher. So moving forward on the defensive ends, both Bennett and Avril are not getting any younger. Both are getting into the age where we could start to see some games missed. We've already seen that with Bennett. Um, do you? What kind of draft capital do you see us spending on an edge rusher? Uh, this is one of those years where I think they're gonna. It's gonna have to be a fairly early pick. You know, they have those five picks in the the top um, 106. You know, because they got three third rounders now. One of those is definitely gonna have to be an edge rusher, uh, and it's probably gonna be more in the Cliff Averill mold than in the uh, Clark and Bennett mold because that's what they need right now. They have two players to you know to play that. Um, that strong side defensive end, what they need is the weak side defensive end that, you know, can come off the edge and get around the corner. So I, I see that as being a priority this offseason. 
linebackers. Let's start with the uh, right in the middle, Bobby Wagner. You know, he is an all-pro. He's he is uh, he is the best middle linebacker in the game right now, and I can say that because I think that with all of the injuries, Luke Keekley is um, on the decline and and is not someone that you can count on the way you can count on Wagner. Boy, I feel so, bad. I feel bad for Luke. I mean, those concussion situations oh, yeah. are oh, just yeah. brutal, brutal. Yeah, I mean, and he was he is was such a great player, and you know, it's. It's, it's, this is a, one of the rough parts about covering the NFL is you see guys like that that are, are so good. And then, you know, once they they start getting those concussions and, and then they're, they miss a long time because they've had so many that it's it's harder for them to come back. So uh, but that's a whole nother topic. Uh, <laughs> so what about what about Brock Coyle? I, so, you know, is he a restricted free agent this year? I believe he is. Um, I like Coyle. Uh, he's not particularly athletic or fast, but he's very steady. He plays really smart. Um, but is I don't he... know that he's athletic enough to play in Pete Carroll's defense as well, a starter per se. No, he's I mean, not. If, if Wagner were to miss extensive time, that would be similar to me as Thomas missing time and having, uh, mm-hmm. having whatchamacallit go back there, um, Ter- Terrell. Yeah, so the the Seahawks had that a couple of years ago where Wagner missed you know some time, and they started by moving KJ right into the middle, um, and that didn't work. And so then at the end of that, they they put KJ right back in his position, and they they brought Coyle in, and it worked better. So that's true. Um, that actually, you know, it wasn't that bad. So like I said, I like Coyle, but I don't think that he's because he's not particularly athletic uh, for the position and for this defense, I'm not sure that he's worth what it's going to cost to keep him using a restricted free agent tender, which is about a million and a half. Uh, I think they're more likely to non-tender him, let him become a free agent, and then try and bring him back for something less, like around 800000 something like that. Do you see them trying to upgrade the position? I could. Uh, they, they really need... There's a lot of... The the linebacking group as a whole needs an infusion of um, young talent behind those the two the two big starters and and I think Pete Carroll kind of signaled that mm-hmm. that uh, the whole he was speaking of the whole defense I think you know people interpreted that as being safeties and corners and we'll get to that but I think he was also talking about some <coughs> young talent specifically a strong side linebacker and speaking of outside linebackers let's talk about KJ Wright before we talk about Mike Morgan. Is so. there is there a more underrated player in the NFL than KJ Wright? And I don't get it. I just I I, I mean he had 126 tackles on a good defense. Well, and not only that, but there's a reason why we don't see screen passes uh against the Seahawks and it's because of KJ Wright. There's I don't know if I've ever seen anyone with such a smart uh, play style against those. He reads them so well and gets outside and makes plays that teams have just kind of stopped trying to throw the screen against the Seahawks. Because, and it's all because of the way KJ Wright plays them. He's he's really good. He doesn't miss tackles. He's. I just don't understand why he doesn't get the respect he deserves around the league. He is such a really good player. How about Mike Morgan? He's an unrestricted free agent this he year. Is. One of one of the starters mm-hmm. on the team that is unrestricted. Uh, I think Hushka, and 
Wilson tight end mm-hmm. are the other kind of marquee guys. Yeah. Other than that, we don't have many, which is a good thing. But which is Mike a good Morgan. Thing. Let's talk about him. Mike Morgan is he's a, actually a, a good player against the run. He's not flashy. He's not going to do, you know, he doesn't have the speed that Bruce Irvin had at the position, uh, but he's really smart. He's steady. He doesn't, he, he, he doesn't let running backs get outside of him, which is what you is the most important thing of a, for a, a Sam linebacker. So he, he really does that kind of stuff. The problem last year was that he just couldn't be on the field. He, the Seahawks used five different players at the strong side linebacker spot. And a lot of that had to do with the fact that Morgan was hurt and, you know, missed considerable time. And well, it they kind of, they kind of scheme shifted uh, the last few years away from that position. If you take mm-hmm. a look at snap counts and went to a more of a nickel yeah, uh, kind of alignment. Maybe you could speak a little bit to that. Well, when the first few years when Pete Carroll was here, they, uh, they used the strong side linebacker about, uh, it was like 68% of the snaps because uh, they were in their base defense. And then, you know, the rest of the time, that's that's the position that comes off the field when the nickel um, cornerback comes in. Last year, and it was not just in Seattle, but it's across the lead, league, it was like 72% of the snaps was the... Uh, the nickel corner was in there. So the, the strong side linebacker just doesn't play as often. And that's why it, it's not, it wasn't brought up priority. And they let Bruce Irvin walk because they didn't want to invest the money in, in a position where they're not on the field. And they didn't draft anyone because they had Morgan there. And they thought that would be sufficient for a player that's only going to play, you know, like, right. you know, about a th- one in every three defensive snaps. Well, I guess that begs the question. Is uh, is that a way that the Seahawks can save a little bit of money? Is go ahead and re-sign Morgan, or do they invest, you know, a high draft pick in there to kind of reclaim that position in the Irvin mold, or you know, what do they do going forward? I I wrote about this, you know, a couple of days ago, and I think they need to invest in the position. But the, what they need to do is to find someone who can do some of what Bruce Irvin did, and that is split time um, and and spend some time as a pass rusher, as a defensive end uh, on the on in those nickel snaps. So they're getting a player that plays more often than just the 30, you know, uh, or a guy that can drop back into coverage. Yeah, um, which. You know, it was Morgan can, but he wasn't great at it. Uh, Bruce Irvin could, but he was better at coverage than people gave him credit for. Uh, but then when they brought in some of the other guys to play that role, especially like Cassius Marsh when he came up, right. uh, you know, when he was in there, he he had no business whatsoever in coverage. It was, it was ugly. A little underwhelming to me. Yeah. And so let's talk about Marsh and maybe uh, Kevin Pierre-Lewis, mm-hmm. both of those guys. I mean, to me, they're they're adequate. But better special team guys than they are actually on the field. Well, what do you think? Kevin Pierre Lewis is playing out of position at the Sam. He is really small for that position. That's one where you you need a guy who can come up um, against the run and take on a defensive end and set the edge so that the the, the play can't get outside. And at two thirty, Kevin Pierre Lewis just isn't big enough to do that. Um, he is a weak side linebacker. He is KJ Wright's backup. And that is a role that he fits really well into. He's got a lot of speed. He does well at it. He's actually good in coverage. Um, and and I like him in that role. But you move him to the strong side, and he just gets overmatched way too quickly. So I, I, I 
the Seahawks had to use him at uh, on the strong side because they didn't have anyone else, and it didn't really work that well. So I'm not like I don't want to say that he is you know an underwhelming player because I think he's a good player when used the right way. Um, Ca- okay, fair enough. So with Cassius Marsh, he is a defensive end. Um, you know, he is. Uh, Cliff Averill's backup. He's the guy who comes in and rushes off the edge. He doesn't do the stuff in the middle that the other um, guys like uh, Bennett Clark do. Um, and so the, the Seahawks moved him and had him do some stuff at strong side linebacker because he is big enough and strong enough to set that edge and play the run. And he does that really well, but he does not play coverage at all. He's not good uh, moving backwards, his hips are really stiff when it comes to that kind of stuff. Uh, so, he, and he's just not natural there. So he, again, it's a player who's really playing out of position in order to try and play that strong side linebacker. Well, and I think that, and you mentioned this earlier, and when you made your opening statements about the defense in general, is that we've kind of lost our edge a little bit, and uh, especially over the middle. And, you know, it seems like we're not hitting guys as hard as we used to. Mm-hmm. We're not intimidating guys or teams as much as we, we used to. And a lot of that comes from our linebacking core as well as our safeties. And so I think that, you know, we could use uh, some upgrades there. And I think we probably will see an infusion of, of talent there out of the draft, at least for solid depth. Mm-hmm. Because um, you had mentioned it earlier, I think the team and the defense itself, you can just kind of sense it when the defense is kind of slipping a little bit. And I think it's totally because of that. Yeah. They just, they just don't intimidate uh, offenses the way they did a couple of years ago, where you could see the, the, the wide receivers didn't want to run over the middle and the, the running backs were, you know, flinching as they came through the line. This, <laughs> the, they didn't, that didn't happen last year. They're, they've, they've lost that intimidation factor. Right. So let's try to reclaim that. Um, Safeties. Let's talk about Cam Chancellor. Uh, Cam, 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 Cam. Um, so he is, is it just me or does it feel like he, because of his incredibly physical play style, it's that he's starting to break down a little bit. He's just yeah. not able to well, stay did, healthy. He had a, did he have a, it was a hamstring or groin kept him out of four games last year. He's a groin. In fact, Chancellor and Thomas only played seven games together in 2016. Yeah, because Cam, Cam missed in the beginning, and then you know, uh, right, right. Uh, Earl missed the end with the uh, with the legs, or with, yeah, with a broken leg. So, I think you know, going forward, that you've got to probably draft a replacement for Cam Chancellor. I mean, if not this draft, next draft, because I think you're right. I think he's breaking down. Mm-hmm. He's a team leader. I love him as a player. He got caught last year a little bit trying to negotiate a deal that he probably had no business doing, but he did come back. Mm-hmm. He, he he played the game right. I think Pete Carroll loves him. I think he's respected. So definitely not going anywhere. I think they probably do extend him. Uh, but you've got to also hedge that bet. Yeah, I, Kelsey McCray was a great hedge uh, a completely different style of player. He isn't the you know 240 pound thumper, but he was a very good strong safety. Uh, and you saw that when when Cam was out the last two seasons, that uh, McCray was able to come in and and play at a at a, a reasonably high level and 
and do well. And was also a, uh, a special teams guy. I think he would be a great guy if they can get him back on, you know, cheap enough, which I am not sure they will, to have as that backup strong safety for in case Cam continues to have injury problems. If they're going to go the draft route, then they're, they're going to be drafting someone that they think can replace Cam. And that would mean not re-signing Cam when he becomes a free agent. And I don't know if the team is going to be willing to do that because he is such a powerful influence inside the locker room. So they will well, it is, it is telling that. the way that they approach free agency on handling the situation because that will definitely dictate the draft. Yes, in this on this position group particularly because mm-hmm. um, usually the Seahawks do a pretty darn good job addressing most of their needs going into the draft so that they can play best player available on most positions most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll see where they want to spend their money this this off season, whether it's at safety or corner or linebacker on the, on the defense, you know, they could end up uh, bringing in a defensive tackle um, in free agency. But uh, you know, I, I do see them bringing in free agents in, in that defense. I'm just not sure exactly where they're going to be. You want to know something interesting about uh, Cam Chancellor is he is not listed as a strong safety on their roster. He is really, he is listed as generic defensive back, which I've always thought was, really weird because he's not playing anything other than strong safety at any point on any team because that's just all he is but okay that has nothing to do with him and just cool a weird piece of bookkeeping by the by the seahawks well you since you mentioned uh, mccray i'm gonna skip over him yeah although i would definitely like him back and so let's talk about the one and only Earl Thomas. There really is one Earl Thomas. And that's the thing is like, so when we do the draft stuff, there's, you know, we talk about player comps and we always, you know, Hey, this player is very similar to, to this NFL player. Um, and I have two rules. One is never comp a quarterback to Cam Newton because they are never going to be able to do what he does in the running game. And my second rule is never comp a safety to Earl Thomas because you're just, I don't care how fast they are. They're not going to be able to do what Earl Thomas does. Um, for Seattle. And it's more than just speed because uh, Stephen Terrell has Earl Thomas's speed, but what he doesn't do is he doesn't have those instincts. He doesn't come forward and make plays on the short and medium passing passes or come up and play the run the way Earl does. He's just, he is. Yeah. There's a little bit of hesitation. There's a little bit of hesitation with Terrell Mm, that makes him an inefficient player because you know, if he's going to, if he's going to come up, there's a chance that he thinks he's going to get played over the top and he hesitates. If he goes back, he gets played underneath and he gives up plays underneath. So to me, Stephen Terrell is giving up plays all over the field. Yes. I mean, with, with just my fans eyes, mm-hmm. he just isn't making plays. And that's what happens when you have a safety that hesitates. Yeah. And it's more than, it's more than just the hesitation he just doesn't have the same instincts. I mean, nobody does, but he doesn't. I don't think he has good instincts because you see him come up on plays that are going deep, and you see him drop back on plays that seem pretty obviously uh, are setting up short. He just doesn't seem to be putting himself in a position where he can make the play he needs to make. Well, I think Earl Thomas plays with no fear, mm-hmm. and I think Stephen Terrell plays with fear. Yeah, that's actually not a bad description. 
I mean, that's kind of the way I, it just seems to me on film. Mm-hmm. But how about Jaron Johnson? Here's a guy that's unrestricted this year. Is he coming back? I don't know. Um, I mean, he was sat most of the year last year uh, out of the out of the game. The Seahawks only brought him in because of the Earl Thomas injury, and you know he came in. He he played a few snaps here or there, but it's he's a, a depth guy and he's a little right. older. And I think they'd rather have a young rookie in that role. Right. Yeah, they liked him a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. and uh, Pete Carroll had, had singled him out a few times as being a guy that they really like, but he really never panned out. So how about uh, corners really quick? Let's run through them. How about you spend 20, 30 seconds on each player? Richard Sherman. I still think he's the best in the league. There's a little bit of concern because of some of the stuff that happened off the field and or on the sideline with him yelling at coordinators and then, you know, taking shots at people in, in press conferences and that kind of stuff. They really need to, to um, bring him in and, and get him right mentally as far as that stuff goes. But he's an elite player. I think one of, I, gonna... I think one of the ways they can do that is I think they can give him some help Yeah. on the side. I think... Uh, Carroll came out, Schneider came out, said that Shad probably wouldn't be ready for the start of the year, so they'd be looking to upgrade that position. What are your thoughts on Shad and what they might do? I think Shed, Shed's a good player. Uh, he really filled in when the Kerry Williams mistake, you know, you know, when that didn't pan out, he stepped in. It was kind of unexpected that, you know, that he was able to hold down that, that role. And he's he's done a well and he's continued to improve, but he's not a He's not an elite player. He's not a you know a special player. He's just a really good player. Uh, so I think that you know long term, I think they do want to upgrade that position. And then of course he is hurt, and he's going to be. Uh, it, he may or may not be back in time for Week One. At any time a player gets hurt in the playoffs with an ACL, generally you expect them to start the year on the pup list and come back in midseason. Yeah, I definitely think that they're going to have a number two corner mm-hmm. before camp starts. Yeah, and they need so, to. So uh, what about uh, Jeremy Lane? Lane had a very off year last year. He was uh, he did not perform to the level that the team expected when they signed him to that contract. And I think that it's, you know, it's, it's disappointing. The, one of the issues with him is that he is... Uh, under contract in a way that isn't going to allow the team to move on from him easily. So in 2016, the Seattle Seahawks had 11 interceptions, the lowest in seven seasons under Carroll. And I don't think it was necessarily Richard Sherman's problem Mm -hmm. because, you know, quarterbacks are not targeting Sherman. But, you know, I think Shedd did fairly well. But I think that our second-tier group was probably the weakest link on that yeah i mean part of the reason for the lack of interceptions was that the pass rush dropped off uh after about mid-season um but a lot of it was that there were open players you know when richard sherman's getting eight interceptions a year it's because the quarterback drops back there's nobody open so they're throwing you know or yeah, there's no there's nobody wide open, so they're they're throwing into tighter windows, or they they have to throw at Richard Sherman because he's the one guy in in single coverage uh, with no help. Uh, when when quarterbacks have other options, they're not going to throw it at Sherman, so he's not going to get his picks, and that's that was 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 why the the interception total dropped last year is because you have Jeremy Lane was going to give up a, a, the reception, so why would they throw you know at Sherman? So four players that are in that second tier 
that will be back with the Hawks this year. Your thoughts on Nico Thorpe, DeAndre Elliott, uh, Demetrius McRae, who's a player they signed in January, mm-hmm. seventh-round pick originally of the Jags, is 6'2", 187. And then Mohamed Sese, uh, mm-hmm. I believe. He's also 6'2". What are your thoughts? I I like Sese, but he this is two years in a row, the last two years, when he has not been on the field. Because um, remember, they traded for him two years ago. And he came in and he looked good and then he got hurt. And then he came back for training camp last year and got hurt. So I'm not sure we can count on him. Uh, I like Elliot. I think he's a, a good developmental guy that they can stick out there on the other side. Uh, I need to see him in another training camp and make sure that he's improving. Uh, but I think he's got a high ceiling and, and is a guy that can And really he's got like. some length too. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, Nico Thorpe was deserving of a Pro Bowl spot as a special teamer. He was absolutely elite at getting down the field and making plays on uh, punt and kick. Uh, but as a cornerback, he is, I mean, he he played a few snaps and looked okay. But I don't think he, of him as a, as a guy they're going to count on as, you know, playing opposite Sherman. If he's on the roster, it's to, you know, provide a little bit of depth uh, in case of an emergency and to play special teams because that's what he does. Uh, the other guys, you know, they, at this point, I'm just going to assume they're camp bodies until we see them. That's, that's the best I can do. I agree. So do you want to give a wrap on the whole unit as, uh, going forward in 2017? What do you, what can you expect? Well, right now it's Richard Sherman and a whole bunch of questions and they need answers to those questions before they get into camp. They've got to get a number two guy that they know is going to be there and count and not a Kerry Williams type, but a, but a real player, even if it's a draft pick, um, and they need to, uh, they need to fill in some of the depth underneath. They can't just be the top two guys and uh, DeAndre Elliott. They, they need at least a fourth guy. <clears throat> so quickly, uh, I want to talk about special teams before we head out. Mm-hmm. Uh, Steven Hushka is unre- unrestricted. Uh, we signed Blair Walsh. Uh, I'll get your feelings on that in a half a second. We've got John Ryan still, which I'm totally fine with. And our kick returners are kind of questionable at this point because we do have Tyler Lockett. We did have Devin Hester at the end of the year. It doesn't look like he'd probably come back. Um, but Tyler Lockett's kind of got the injury history where you're just not sure if you now want him responsible for returns. And then we had the, the whole long snapper issue all season, which finally got resolved at the end by Tyler Ott. Um, but before that, it was a hot mess. Mm-hmm. So. What do you think about the the special teams as a whole? I think the special teams as a whole as a whole has gone from being a major strength to a huge question mark. Um, I really like John Ryan. I absolutely think that we have one good special teams player on our roster um, because I am not a fan of the Blair Walsh signing one bit. He has he got the shanks. Uh, in we Minnesota. signed him for nothing though. Yeah, we signed him for nothing. I know, but. And I get part of it is that Hauschka had a bad year, and so they were like, well, if we can get we're, – we're replacing a, a kicker who had a bad year with a kicker who had a bad year, and we're saving $3 million by doing it. I get it. I get it. But at least Hauschka was good. Well, and Blair Walsh, is four, Blair Walsh is four years younger. Yeah, I know. And he did have an amazing rookie season before he kind of steadily went 
mm-hmm. down. So, I mean, you know, it's worth a shot yeah. to me. It's worth a camp. It is. You know, give, give him a camp and bring him in, see what he's got. You know, if he blows you away, I mean, you go into the season with a guy like that. I don't feel terrible about it. I wish, you know, but I'm not ready to, you know. Well, the C- if you think back when, when the Seahawks acquired Hauschka, um, they went through a whole training camp in preseason with Orlando Mare, and I believe there was another guy in there. They were competing, and then they cut both of them and went about 24 hours without a kicker uh, right before week one and signed Hauschka, who had just been released by Denver. And they won't... Well, I could see them doing that again this year. They're going to bring in a rookie uh, or maybe yep. two uh, that you know go undrafted and, and see what they look at training camp. And if they don't like any of the three guys that they've got in camp, they cut them all, find a vet that gets released um, you know, right before the season and, and run, run with it. It's one, it's, kicker is the one position where you can do that. Uh, and as long as, no, as long as Nolan Freeze is not long snapping, <laughs> I think we're going to be right. okay. I have to ask. Because as a fan, I, I was just perplexed week after week after week. The whole Nolan Freeze experiment was was just wrong. And we saved not millions of dollars, like hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah, about, like, about $200,000 to... We saved $200,000 to cut Gresham. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. What? <laughs> what? What was that about? Okay, I cannot get an answer to that question from the team, but what I can kind of read between the lines and get was that Gresham did one thing well, and that was snap the ball. But there are other parts. That's really important for his position. It is. I've heard. But they wanted someone who could do that and help on punt coverage because they they felt that uh, they're basically playing with one less player on the field. Uh, during punt coverage, and they wanted someone who could help. And uh, Nolan, so, what do you think of Tyler Ott going forward? I would prefer Tyler Ott over Nolan Freeze, like <laughs> literally every single possible way. He's a he was a better snapper. Maybe, maybe he'll be back then. I, I think so. Yes. I, I then again, I never thought they would they would keep Nolan Freeze around as long as they did. I, I just from the very beginning through the preseason, everything he just did not look good in that in that role so i was surprised they kept him around as long as they did you know and and for whatever reason it we're in a definite super bowl window mm-hmm. right it started when we drafted russell wilson and it's probably not going to end until russell wilson retires but it's really strong right now we've got a good solid team around russell wilson yet we take these chances on these almost insignificant situations to save a little bit of money and the the long snapper issue was one the whole offensive line issue was another we could have solved that issue with evans which it was a for a veteran minimum contract Mm -hmm. why did the why do the seahawks seem to to kind of implode a little bit around the edges like that i think it's just a matter of the the team has this desire to always stay young um stay young, stay athletic. And when they can release a veteran and replace them with a younger player, they're going to. And I think that's kind of just what they're doing. They're trying to find ways to roll, you know, to churn the roster in a way where they, they cut older players and get younger. And I think getting, you know, make that, that move to Gresham was to get them both younger and more athletic 
uh, so that they can help with punt coverage. Um, with the offensive line, you know, you, they've had all these guys like Unger and, and uh, Okung who were good, but couldn't stay on the field, couldn't stay healthy, and they were also starting to get a little older. So they were like, okay, let's move on from them, get someone who's younger and more athletic and more likely to stay healthy. And in some ways it works, and in some ways it doesn't. And so they, you know, oft, often uh, John Schneider uh, will definitely admit mistakes, and he will move in a different direction. Yes. You know, they don't really have a problem as a team doing that, mm-hmm. but in season, in season, they seem to have they get they get married to one guy, and boy, that's it. And Freeze was a prime yeah, example. I mean, they do. They just... But then you have you have situations like the Percy Har- the Percy Harvin deal where they actually. Uh, we're smart enough to figure out mid-season it wasn't going to work and, and move on and, and do that kind of thing. Fair enough. Okay, last thing, uh, mailbag question. You said you had one. So by all means, folks that are listening, send in your questions because we like this segment and we'd give it a little bit more time if we if we could. So one question. Okay. Uh, so the question... Um, that came in on Twitter from uh, from Terry asks if the Seahawks get the right deal, would you be interested in cha- in uh, trading Cam Chancellor? Wow, interesting question. Cam Chancellor brings much more to the team than just his play on the field, and I think that that's the key to that to the answer. And, but I'm going to let you answer the question. Okay, so I actually this is this is a good question because it's a hard question. Um, it really depends to me on if the Seahawks can can get some some what they get for him, and can they get a someone that they're comfortable with replacing his role on the field? Replacing his role in the locker room will happen. Uh, they have Michael Bennett. You'll see guys like KJ Wright or Bobby Wagner step up and take a big a bigger role. Uh, I think you can get around that because they have other good veterans, but can you, can you, are you comfortable with replacing him on the field? And that becomes a much more difficult, uh, proposition for the team. And if they can do that, then I think you kind of have to look at it because, you know, Chancellor's missed, you know, considerable time over the last couple of seasons. He's going into his contract year. He wants a massive, massive raise that the CX may or may not be able to afford to give him. Um, If you can get a chance to, you know, get get a couple of picks or or, uh, like maybe a second round pick, you kind of have to listen to the offers and think about it. Yeah, I think. I think you're right. And I think that the window for him to uh, command a first round pick may have passed based on the fact that he's been injured a a little bit, but he's still a great player and um, I would hate to see him go. But like you said, if you can get some value for him, you know, New England uh, does a great job with that sort of model where they jettison their players that are right at the, at the tail end of their peak and get a little something for them. And, and we know that um, that the draft capital is the way you have to build the team and keep building it over time. So I wouldn't be opposed to it, but boy, it'd have to be, it'd have to look good on paper for sure. I, like I said, I wouldn't be opposed to it, but if it happens, man, that's It's just going to hurt. It's just going to be, it's just going to hurt. You're going to, he's a fan favorite for a reason. He's a good player. He's a good guy. We, we love cam. Um, and I would, I would hate to see him go, but, the football sense of it, you know, the, that part of it, I get it. 
the fan part of it, uh, it would be painful. It'd be hard. So coming up next week on the show, we're going to have a combine review. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're also going to have a kind of a free agency primer because the show is published on the eve of free agency. Yep. And we want to make sure that everyone has some really good info to go into that time. Um, locked and loaded with what the Seahawks might do. So Keith, it was great to to talk with you again, always insightful. And uh, you can find Keith on Twitter at Myers NFL and on the 12th man rising.com website where he is the editor and uh, chief NFL analyst writer there. And anything else, Keith? No, let's um, let's go watch people run some forty-yard dashes and lift some weights, and uh, yeah, that's that's what we're doing right now. It's, it is combine time. Excellent. So we'll see you next week, Keith. It was good to to have you again, and uh, until next week, watch some combine stuff, and let's get ready for that next podcast. Awesome. Okay. Later. See you next time. The Hawks Playbook Podcast is brought to you by the Fan Sighted Network and 12thManRising.com. Find our podcast on the website or subscribe on iTunes. You can find both Bill and Keith on Twitter. Bill is at NWC Hawk and Keith is at Myers NFL.